that you're here tonight. Um, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 16. The Gospel of Luke chapter 16. I want to tell you a story I had experienced once. It's been a number of years ago. There was a lady who came to me, very, very devout, sweet Christian lady. And her, her dad, his health was declining, and they just felt like that he didn't have a lot longer to live. And she shared with me that her dad was an atheist. And it totally shocked me, because I would not have guessed with the deep faith that she had that her dad would have been an atheist. It, was, it just totally blew me away. He was in the hospital. And uh, she asked me, she said, would you go by and, and, and try to witness to him? I said, I'd, I'd be more than happy to do that. So I went by and I spoke to him, of course, knowing that he was an atheist. And I asked him this question. I, as he was there on the bed, I you know, gave a, a few things. How are you doing and all this? And I said, I want to ask you a question. When you die, do you know where you're going to spend eternity? And he said, oh, yes. And he was very matter of fact about it. He said, oh, yes. I said, well, would you mind sharing with me where you think you're going to spend eternity? And these were his exact words, a hole in the ground. A hole in the ground. The weight of that, how it hit me, to think that here's a man who doesn't have much longer to live, and he feels like that when he dies, there's nothing after that. He did die. And I went to the funeral. I didn't preach the funeral. I went to the funeral. I can tell you it was one of the saddest funerals I've ever attended in my life. Credit to the pastor who preached the funeral. He knew the man stayed. He certainly did not try in any way, shape, or form to try to preach that everybody goes to heaven because everybody doesn't go to heaven. And, and he preached this funeral. He did as good of a job as he could have, but it was one of the saddest funerals that I have ever been to in my life knowing where this man was going to spend eternity one of the things that was shocking there was his age and the fact that he didn't believe we oftentimes have this conception that that people who were born during a certain era he was a world war ii vet had served his country honorably he was a world war ii vet and with his age we have this mindset to think that you know it's a lot of the older people they believe and by and large when you look statistically that is true but here's the thing that is happening when i began to look at this man here and the shock that i that i had felt when he just shared with me of where he was going to spend eternity church i want you to understand something that here in the 21st century in the time in which we live there are many 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 more people who are saying this thing about when they die it's all over and they don't they don't believe they have rejected the things certainly of God, of the God that we serve. Now, they may be embracing other things. And, and so we've got a lot of people today who really, and I want you to hear this, think that the gospel of the Christian faith is irrelevant. They don't want to hear about somebody who died 2,000 years ago, who died on the cross for their sins. Nobody wants to be told that they are sinners and they are somehow wrong and that they somehow need to be reconciled to God. They don't want to hear it. And so here's what I want to ask you the question. When we begin to look at this, is the gospel still relevant today? 
And I would dare say that most all of you would say, yes, the gospel is relevant. But can I just say to you that if the gospel is still relevant, that by and large the church is not living like it's relevant. When was the last time you actually shared your faith with someone? Don't dare say that you think the gospel is relevant and you never share the gospel. So here's what I want to do tonight. You're in one or two categories tonight. Either you know Jesus or you don't know Jesus. There is no in-between. It's kind of like being pregnant. Either you are or you ain't. There is no in-between. Either you're saved or you're not. And, and for the, us who are saved, if we say that we believe the gospel is relevant, why are we doing such a poor job of sharing something that we think is relevant? So I hope this message, that if you profess to be a believer tonight, I hope this message really stirs you to understand the fact that, listen, God hasn't just simply called preachers to preach the gospel. He's called all of us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. We're all to be witnesses. And so if, if you profess to know Jesus, and you have no doubt about that, I'm telling you tonight, you have a responsibility with the gospel of Jesus Christ to go and tell others. And I'll share with that with you here in a moment. And I hope, it just, I hope it just sticks in your heart with this message that I have. Tonight, if you don't know Christ, and, and if I were to ask you what I ask this atheist, when you die, where are you going to spend the rest of eternity? If you were to say to me, preacher, to be honest with you, I really don't know the answer to that. I pray that tonight before we leave, that you will be able to say that you know that you're going to spend eternity in heaven. So here's what I want to, I want to preach a message that I've entitled, Why the Gospel Still Matters. And we're going to be looking here in Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 19. And, and what we're going to see here is we're going to look at the most vivid picture of hell that we find in Scripture. Now, let me just be honest with you. There's a lot of people who don't like messages on hell. There's a lot of people who would just assume that preachers don't preach on hell. Preacher, we, we don't need to preach on hell. Let's just preach about the goodness of God. Well, I love preaching on the goodness of God. I'll be honest with you, I do. And by the way, let me just say to you, if, if you're a person who has, you have been saved, and yet Satan is constantly there reminding you of your past, I want you to come tomorrow night. Uh, I, I, last night was a message that I told you was supposed to kind of tan your hide a little bit. This in here, I'm hoping, brings a lot of conviction. Tomorrow night is a message of comfort. It is, it, and, I, and I pray that you'll come. If you, if you need some comfort, tomorrow night's for you. And I think it'll be a great way to end out the revival because I didn't come here to beat you up. I, I remember I had a, a black pastor tell me one time, his name was Smallfields. And when I started preaching, Smallfields, he was about this tall, and he was about as wide as he was tall. Small was a great guy. I worked with him, and here's what he told me. He said, Bobby, he said, before you tears them down, you got to build them up. Before you build them up, you got to tears them down. That's how he said it. Before you build them up, you've got to tear them down. And he quoted scripture. He said, that's what the Bible does. For the wages of sin is death. It tears you down. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. It builds you up. 
And so I, I felt like that, to, that during this time of revival, I wanted to come in and just kind of to bring you to a point of your life, man, we, we've got to do something. And, and, and when I leave, I want you to be excited about going out and sharing your faith and reaching this community for Christ. Because that's why you're here. But tonight, if you don't know Christ, I pray, I pray, I pray that you will listen closely to what the Scripture is telling us tonight and you'll understand your need for Christ. And I pray that you'll receive Him. If you know Christ, I pray tonight that God will speak to you in such a powerful way you want to go and tell others about Him. So why the Gospel still matters, if you have your Bible... If you would, please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 19. And for people who don't like to hear a message on hell, it's Jesus himself who paints the most vivid picture in all of Scripture of hell. And listen to what he says. He gives this narrative of the rich man and Lazarus. And and here's the way that he tells it. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, And seeing Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom, and he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime received the good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented." And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. May God add his blessing to the reading of his words. You may be seated. So why the gospel still matters. I've got a few things that I want to show you why the gospel still matters. Why the gospel is relevant in this fast-paced, high-tech age in which we live. And here is the first reason why the gospel still matters, and it's this. Because hell is a real place. Hell is a real place. Now, how do I know that hell is real? Some people say, preacher, have you ever been to hell? No, but I've been to New Orleans. Anybody ever been to New Orleans? If you have been to New Orleans, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Took a visit there one time and was very glad when it was time to go. I know there's probably some godly people. In fact, we have, a, we have a, a seminary there in New Orleans. They need a seminary in New Orleans. But I have never seen, heard, tasted, touched, or smelled hell, but I fully believe that it exists. 
And I believe that hell exists because Jesus affirms that it does. Now, listen to me. If I can't believe Jesus here, how can I believe Jesus elsewhere in Scripture? How can I believe Jesus when he says these words, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, we like to believe that because that sounds good. Oh, yeah, I'm tired. I, Jesus, I'm, I've been laboring, and I, and, I, and I want some rest. And so we like to believe that part when Jesus says it. We like to believe in John chapter 14, verse 1 and 3, when Jesus said this, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. We love that. We love this idea that Jesus is preparing for us a place in heaven and that when this life is over, we're going to be with him. We embrace that. We accept it. And there are people who will embrace these things that Christ says, and yet they will not accept the fact that Jesus affirms the reality of hell. People believe Jesus in the good things because it sounds good. Now, church, I want you to listen to this. Many people develop their theology, that is their system or belief about God, based upon their likes and dislikes. People can go through Scripture and they can literally go through, well, I like this and so I'll accept this. Or I don't like this, so I'll just rip this out because I don't like the way that sounds. I'm just going to be honest with you. There are some things in Scripture that I'm like, I, man, that's kind of hard to swallow. Uh, preacher that I know, Tony Evans, some of you may have heard of Tony Evans. Tony Evans says you've got, in Scripture, you've got spinach truth and ice cream truth. See, ice cream truth goes down good. We love the way that it tastes. But spinach truth, maybe it doesn't taste as good. But the reality is it's still truth. And so what happens is, as we begin to look at this, people develop their theology based upon their likes and their dislikes. But I want you to hear this. Just because a person does not believe in hell does not mean that hell does not exist. When I was in college, I had a professor that said this. He said, truth becomes truth when we accept it as truth. Now think about that. Truth becomes truth when we accept it as truth. Basically what he was saying is that truth is relative. You ever heard someone say this? Well, what may be true for you may not be true for me. And that is the age in which we live. Everyone makes up their own truth. That this is, well, this is what is true for me. And because it's true for me, this is truth. And I remember our response to the professor when he said that. Truth becomes truth only when we accept it as truth. And I said, well, I've got a question for you. There was a day when people believed the earth was flat. When they believed that the earth was flat, was the earth really flat? And here was his answer. Well, that doesn't count in this situation. Well, that's an easy way out, isn't it? And so I, I remember him saying that, and, and, and let me just share something with you. How many of you, 
I, I've, Brother Joe has taken me around, and um, how many of you know what, who Sasquatch is? Bigfoot. What's that? Woodbooger. Is that what y'all call him around here? I did not know that. Well, I'm just going to tell you something. Brother Joe took me around, and if Sasquatch was going to live anywhere, he'd live here. You got some good places for him to hide. Can I take a poll? It, and it doesn't matter. It, how many of you believe that maybe Bigfoot exists? Raise your hand. The whole front row here. <laughs> I, y'all were not looking back, but y'all were the only ones that believe that Bigfoot exists. Do we need to stop right now and just have prayer? Let me, let me tell you this. When it comes to Bigfoot, you're going to believe one of three things. You either believe he's real, that he's not real, or maybe he is and maybe he's not. You're just not sure. One of three things. Either he is, or he's not, or I'm just not certain. C- can I tell you something? It really doesn't matter what you believe. I don't particularly believe in Bigfoot. But can I tell you that what I believe about Bigfoot is irrelevant? If there is a Bigfoot out there, he, he certainly doesn't care whether I believe in him or not. Let's assume for the sake of argument that y'all are right. And he's real. And let's just say 100% we know that he's real, but yet I choose not to believe that. Does that change the reality that he's real? The answer is no, it doesn't. What I believe does not change reality. So if a person says to me, preacher, I don't believe in hell, that doesn't change the reality of hell. It really doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. So Jesus affirms the reality of hell. Now, I want you to listen to this. Whereas your belief in hell does not change the reality of hell, your belief in hell does determine how you respond to its teaching. Now, we've got people who are Christians that they profess to be Christians, but they don't believe in hell. You've got preachers who will preach that there is no hell, that God is too too much of a loving God that he would ever send anybody to hell. Well, I'm, I'm just going to tell you this right now. If you go to hell, you have to, you, you're, God's not sending you to hell. You're going on your own accord. Do you realize that you have to trample over the grace of God in a long, long path to get to hell? So don't blame God. All right, so hell's a real place. Whether you want to believe it or not, hell is a real place Don't take my word for it. Take the word of Jesus for it. He speaks about the reality of this place called hell. And I'm just going to tell you, if you can't believe Jesus here, then you don't need to believe him anywhere. Because here's what happens. If hell is not a real place, then you have just called into question, if you don't believe it's a real place, you've called into question the integrity of Scripture and the integrity of Christ. The gospel still matters because hell is real. Whether you believe it is or not. 
Here's the second, and by the way, can I just say this? If hell is not real, let's say there is no hell. Explain Calvary to me. If, 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 if hell is not real, then God the Father is a sadistic father that would allow his son to die on a cross in the way that he did if there is no hell. So if there is no hell, I've got a major problem with a God who would send his son to die in the way that he did if it was for nothing. But it wasn't for nothing. Hell was real. Here's the second reason why the gospel still matters. Not only is hell real, but hell is a painful place. Look with me in verse 24. As in, in the story that we, that we have here, the rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man, he cries out and he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. So what Jesus is doing here is he's giving this, this story of the rich man and Lazarus and you understand what is happening that in, in the rich man's lifetime he had everything that he wanted. And here's Lazarus, poor Lazarus, who is eating from the crumbs of his table, had everything horrible in life, and they both die. Did you notice that? I don't care how much money you have, you're going to die. A rich man died one time, and somebody said, I wonder how much he left. The preacher said, all of it. You don't take it with you. And so, here is this man, this rich man, and he cries out, and Jesus tells us here that he is in a place of what? Fire. He says, I am tormented in these flames. I want to tell you something. There is nothing that is quite as excruciating as being burned by fire. We have a burn unit, one of the best burn units in the, in the United States, there in Augusta, Augusta, Georgia. And we just had a very serious thing that happened here maybe about four or five weeks ago. There was a, a family in our church, and uh, they had some relatives who uh, they had gone out, and they were going to, uh, they had an outdoor cooking shed, and the thing blew up. It, it killed three of them and burned one. Excru they were all burned, excruciating. He's, uh, to my understanding, they took him down to Gainesville to the hospital, but if you've ever seen someone or if you've ever experienced being burned, it is a horrible, horrible, horrible experience. I don't know that you could die in a more excruciating way than to be burned up. This is a painful place. And, and the reality is what the Scripture does, the fire does not end. We'll look at that here in a moment. But I want you to notice what he says here. When he says, I am tormented in these flames, did you notice that he did not say, I am tormented by these flames? I am tormented in these flames. Now certainly, I believe that the flames are a source of torment. But to say that he's being tormented in the flames, I think it takes us a little bit deeper here. I believe that a person who is in hell will not only experience the physical suffering of an eternal flame, 
But I believe there's also some emotional suffering that goes on. I heard a preacher say this one time, and I'm inclined to believe it. He said, when a person is in hell, they will recall every sermon they ever heard that called them to Jesus, and they rejected it. And they will remember that sermon. And so I'm thinking about this man here and wondering if he's thinking in his mind all the opportunities that he had to to surrender to God and he chose not to do it. I believe that people will carry the guilt of sin and will understand, they will understand it fully in light of the holiness of God. See, if you think you feel bad now when you sin, when a person gets to hell, that guilt's not going away. And they're going to feel the guilt, the weight of their sin for all of eternity. I believe they will be tormented every single day and they will remember every single time they rejected God's call to salvation. So hell will not just be a place of physical pain, it will be a place of emotional pain and I believe spiritual pain as well. And see, here's the reality. Look what the Bible says in verse 28. For I have five brethren, he wanted Lazarus to come, um, and he says, For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. What does that tell me? This man is fully in his right mind. He's not crazy. He's able to think logically and very plainly. And he knows this. He's able to sit there in the midst of this torment, It's not like he's going out of his mind. He's able to contemplate, I've got five brothers, and I know how my brothers are living. And I now know that if my brothers die like I have died, they're going to be here as well. And so what does that tell me? I believe, somebody's asked the question, will we know each other in heaven? Well, I believe that we will. Now, that's a a whole different sermon. But it begs the question, will... Will you know, will people in hell know who else is in hell? This man apparently would have known if his brothers were there. And I want you to get the picture here. You imagine this. Imagine that you are a father who never took your children to church, even though they may have asked, and that happens quite often. A father who never takes his children to church. He lives a godless life, and his children end up living a godless life. And he and his children go to hell, and he recognizes the fact that he's in hell and the number of times that he had an opportunity to take his children to church, and he chose not to. And to recognize the fact that these children were placed in my care by God himself, and I had the responsibility in my life to train them spiritually, and I did not do it, and now my kids... They're probably here because of my lack of being a good father and a witness. Now, whether he can be fully blamed for that or not, God will have to sort that out. But can you imagine being the father, knowing that it was your responsibility, and you're in hell, and your kids are right there too, and you carry that torment for all of eternity? Hell's a painful place, not just physically, but emotionally. Let me give you another reason why the gospel still matters. Because hell is an isolated place. Look what he says here in verse 26. As, he, as he's wanting for Lazarus to come and just give him a, just a drop of cold water on my tongue. 
And Abraham explains that this can't happen. He says, besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. So when they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us, that would come from thence. Now, I don't know if you've ever visited in a prison before. I've gone in to try to visit with people in prison. I don't like going to visit prisons. I don't like to hear that door slam behind me. But, but here's the thing. People in prison get visitors. You can, you can call, and, and uh, this was not even a relative of mine. Someone called, even though I might have some relatives that are in prison, but that's another story. I went and I visited with this guy in prison. All I had to do was make a phone call, get my name written down, and I was able to go and visit with this guy. He had murdered someone. And this murder was able to get visitors in prison. Can I tell you what does not happen when you're in hell? You don't get visitors. It's an isolated place. There's no visits in hell and while there may be many people in hell, it appears there will be no desire for fellowship from others in hell. And I go back to verse 28. This man did not want his brothers there. You ever heard this saying, misery loves company? This guy didn't want the company of his brothers in hell. He's miserable, but he did not want the company. This is an isolated place. Let me ask you a question. When Jesus was on the cross... Who was there to help Jesus in his suffering? The answer is nobody. Jesus suffered how? Alone. Why was he suffering? He was taking our punishment upon himself. And so Jesus there, suffering alone, and here's the reality, if you are not going to accept the suffering of Christ for your life, guess what you're going to do? You're going to suffer for it. And how are you going to do it? Alone. Hell is an isolated place. I remember one time hearing a preacher, and, and he, had a, he said that one day he was preaching to a bunch of young people, and, and he had this young man come up to him and said, Preacher, he said, I want to tell you something. He said, I'm going to hell, and I'm glad because me and my friends, we're going to party. You've heard that before. People have this mindset that when I get to hell, it's just going to be a party in hell. No, friend, it is not. There is no party in hell. It is a place of isolation. And that is why the gospel still matters. The gospel also still matters is because hell is a hopeless place. Hell is an absolutely hopeless place. In Dante's Divine Comedy, he describes the fictional journey of the author through hell and ultimately to heaven. And in the inferno section, he describes the sign above the portal of hell, and it reads this, Abandon hope, all ye who enter here. Hope is gone. He describes it as a great gulf fixed. What does he mean when he says it's fixed? It means it can't be changed. The great gulf is there. there is, this is a place of hopelessness. There is no going there. Oftentimes what you will hear the Catholic Church talk about purgatory and you go, to, you go into purgatory for a while and once your sins are purged, then you get to go to... There is no purgatory. There is no going to hell for a certain period of time and then when you have paid for all of your sins, you get to get out. You don't. It is a place of absolute hopelessness. I've thought about this before. If you read in the book of Revelation and you read where lost people are going to be judged, it's going to be at the great white throne of judgment. 
and there at the great white throne of judgment, and I have tried to picture, picture yourself at that moment that you're standing before Jesus, and you get up there, and you're trying to tell Jesus why you ought to get into heaven. And you hear these words, Depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you. I have, I have really tried to contemplate what it would be like to hear Jesus say that. And I don't know that you could ever experience any greater words of hopelessness than that. Depart from me. It's over. It's done. I gave you every opportunity that I could give you, and you rejected it. It's done. And, and church, hear me in this. There's going to be billions of people who hear those words. Absolute hope. You know, as long as a person has one sliver of hope, you can keep going. It, it, I don't care how bad life gets. As long as you've got a little sliver of hope, you can keep going. All sliver of hope is gone when you get here. Here's another reason why the gospel still matters. Because hell is an eternal place. Jesus does not speak to hell's eternal nature here, but he does elsewhere. In Matthew chapter 25 and verse 41, Jesus speaks about it as an everlasting fire. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 11 through 12, John the Baptist, he speaks about the wrath of God as an unquenchable fire. In Daniel chapter 12 and verse 2, Daniel records it as an eternal torment. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9, Paul describes it as everlasting destruction eternity is a long time now can we just be honest with ourselves here for just a moment get this picture in your mind let's say and I, I believe in an age of accountability I don't know what your theology is on that but I believe in a cage of accountability and I, and I think it's different for different people but let's say for a moment that you've got a person who who reached the age of accountability at the age of 13 and they heard the gospel, and for the very first time it clicked, and they realized, well, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus. But they said, but I'm, no, I'm not going to give my life to Jesus. I'm gonna, and it's not that I want to totally reject Jesus right now. I'm just not ready. I'll do it when I become an adult. And, and people, people always put off. And can you imagine this, that this, this 13-year-old who says, I, I'm, I'm just not going to do it now. And let's say it's a church person. And they're in church, and, and they hear the gospel preached a number of times, and every time they hear the gospel preached, they reject it. And they get to the age of 20, and they hear the gospel preached, and they reject it. No, I'm just not ready. I'll wait, I'll wait till I get married, and then I'll really get involved. And that 20-year-old dies without Jesus. All right, put this into perspective. There was an age of accountability, and I believe there was. And let's say that at the age of 12, he would have gone to heaven. So from the age of 13 to the age of 20, you've got seven years. Do you mean to tell me that those seven years that he's going to spend in eternity being punished for those seven years? Yes. Now here's what... Here is the problem why we can't comprehend that. I had a friend of mine when I was in seminary, and he explained this because, and I don't question it. I don't question the eternity uh, that hell is eternal until not one bit. I believe that it is. But I remember having this conversation with my friend. His name was Buddy, Buddy Persto. But I said, Buddy, I said, you know, it, it, it seems like a very long time for someone to have to spend in punishment 
an eternal punishment for temporal sin. And he explained it like this, and I thought it was pretty good. He said, the problem is, we don't understand the severity of sin. We don't understand how sinful sin really is. And here's another thing we don't understand. We do not understand how truly holy God is. And so when you, when you put the true sinfulness of man and compare it to the true holiness of God, church, I'm telling you, we get exactly what we deserve if we reject Him. Hell is an eternal place. That's why the gospel still matters. Let me give you one more reason why the gospel still matters. And it's this. Hell is an avoidable place. Now all these things that we've looked at here, and everything that Jesus talks about, hell is horrible, but the reality is the reason the gospel still matters is because you don't have to go to hell. It's avoidable. Everything that I've been talking about during this sermon can be avoided if a person will trust in Jesus and repent of their sins. Understand this. On Calvary, Jesus Christ fully satisfied the wrath of a holy God. The Bible says this, the wages of sin is death. And Jesus died for you. He died in your place. He willfully took your sin. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin for us. And Jesus taking your sin upon himself. I want you to get the picture here. When Jesus was on the cross of Calvary and all the sins of the world were placed upon him. You know what the Bible tells us? You had three hours. There was total darkness during that time. I believe it was that moment that the full wrath of God was poured out on Jesus, and I believe it happened for three hours. And you imagine this, in those three hours that Jesus bore the sins of the entire world, He bore in that moment what you would bear for eternity. I cannot fathom that. And yet He did. He died so you would not have to. Hell's an avoidable place. And so by placing your faith in Christ, as many as you have done, you'll avoid the pain, the suffering, the loneliness, and the hopelessness of hell. Can I just ask you this? If you have been offered such a wonderful gift, and you have received such a wonderful gift, why will you not share it with someone else? Because here's what you're saying. If you believe this gospel that we preach, that Jesus died for the sins of the world, and you say you believe that gospel, and yet you tell no one, by your actions you are saying that the gospel for today is irrelevant. Here's what I pray will happen. I pray that if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, that somehow this message will stir your heart and, and bring you to the realization you have a responsibility to go and to share the gospel. I want to read to you Romans chapter 10 and verse 14. Listen to what it says. How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? 
And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? If folks are going to believe, they must hear the gospel. The gospel still matters. I pray God will convict your heart tonight if you're a Christian that you have a responsibility to your neighbors, to your loved ones, to your co-workers, to everybody that you know. And listen, I'm preaching to myself here. I'll tell you, Brother Joe, I'm going to say something about, about your wife, Miss Jenny. Well, she is a soul winner. She will share the gospel with a light pole if she gets an opportunity. I appreciate that. And everybody that was here from Dublin noticed her, just the fire she had to share the gospel. We need to have a fire to share the gospel. And if you don't have that fire, I, I, I pray that tonight that you'll ask God to give you that fire. And here's how I'm going to close. It may be that there are some of you here tonight that the question that I ask you starting this message, where are you going to spend eternity? Where are you going to spend eternity? You're saying, preacher, I don't know. Listen, I'm telling you, right now, hell's avoidable. But there will come a day when it's not. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. We're going to have a time of invitation. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you've never been saved, you don't have the assurance. Listen, He, di he loved you. He died on Calvary's cross for you. And the Bible says that you have to place your faith in Him, repent of your sins, fully trust. And I'm not talking about an easy believism here. It's a willing to say, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to take me, and I'm yours. And I'm turning from my sins. I'm trusting what you did at Calvary. I'll be down here. Brother Joe will be down here. Come while hell is still avoidable. The gospel still matters. Let's live like it does. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. I, I, I know hell is a horrible place. Lord, you tell us in your word that it was not created for us. It was created for the devil and his angels. And yet because of our unbelief, because of our, our, the wickedness of our hearts, dear God, and we will not turn to you, there are going to be many who spend an eternity in hell. Lord, for any person tonight that doesn't know you, that doesn't have the assurance of their salvation, Lord, it, it might be someone who many years ago, they might have said that prayer, and yet they know that by the way they are living, that they've never really surrendered their life to you. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you will do what only you can do. Convict of sin and of righteousness. I pray that you will draw the loss so that tonight they can be saved. God, for your children, convict us that we have a responsibility to share the good news of this gospel to all that we come in contact with. May we not fail you in that, and may we not fail the people who need to hear. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh.